People Smart, enabling organisations and individuals to be disability inclusive and accessible. Hello everyone and welcome to today's podcast episode. My name is Jodie Greer and I'm the founder of Be People Smart. I'm excited today for two reasons. One, because we're busting more myths and also because I'm joined by the lovely Tracy. So rather than me tell you about her, I'll get Tracy to introduce herself. Well, thank you very much, Jodie. It's lovely to see you. We actually did a webinar yesterday, so long time no see. Myth busting is probably one of my favourite things to do and probably one of the hardest things to say. Um, I do have a stutter, so if I get caught up in anything, apologies. I'm actually the recruitment consultant or access recruitment consultant for Microlink, who are an assistive technology company. So I remove barriers to the recruitment processes. Wonderful. We like removing barriers. So we do. <laughs> it's great that you're here. So just to set the scene, there are two myths. We'll probably come across more like we always do, but there are two myths that Tracy and I are going to be busting today primarily. And they are that employer neurodivergent people is an all an employer needs to do. We'll go over that. And adjustments are too expensive to recruit disabled mm. people. So Absolutely. We will talk about not only the fact that that's a myth, but also it can actually help you save money. So let's talk, Tracy, about uh, let's talk about training for recruitment teams, first of all. Oh, yeah. Because I think there's something I'm really hot on is making sure that actually those that are doing the recruiting, so the recruitment personnel, but the line managers actually have sufficient training to be able to do so inclusively it's something that's so often overlooked and it's interesting because you can talk to smaller companies and there's pockets of excellence there always is i mean if you look at bds membership you look at what the recruitment teams within their clients are but then you start to look at some of the world's largest companies and you talk to the recruiters and they go, I'm really scared about recruiting people with disabilities because if I get it wrong, am I going to get sued? Am I going to lose my job? But they still don't come to you and say, can you show me how to do it? So the actual fact of making sure that what you do in recruitment is inclusive, the important thing, the really key thing is to get somebody like Jodie in to do training with you, to actually teach you how to be inclusive how not to be embarrassed when you say to a blind person, I'll see you at the interview. The amount of people I've seen blush after that, or can you hear what I'm saying when the person's deaf? They're common phrases. Don't be, don't be put off by them. But it, it's that whole disability etiquette, if you like. I mean, what's, what's the most, well, the most, what's the worst thing that you've heard when people have gone in recruitment, do you think, Jodie? Uh, well, I think one of the worst I heard recently was where someone had actually asked for an adjustment in advance um, mm. and it was actually sign language interpreter mm. turned up for a interview explained when they got to reception that you know they're there for their interview but they're also expecting an interpreter um the receptionist got quite confused because they weren't sure what they were meant to do about that so they managed to get you know the host the interviewer um to come down they didn't even realise about this request no. because it went through a recruitment team process. Um, nothing had been arranged, even though it was confirmed. There was this kind of joint embarrassment and they said that they would rearrange it for the following week, which wasn't great. Um, and then the following week came and exactly the same thing happened no. again. 
That's probably the worst one I've heard recently. Um, they said that basically they would try and wing the interview <laughs> and they'd speak clearly and all of these kind of things. Um, and I'll be honest, I think from the conversation I had that the candidate actually realised that not only was it just a really poor recruitment process, it's probably not the company they want to work for. Absolutely. You know, let's face it, if that's the sort of first impressions you're getting yeah. when you're trying to make an effort, yeah. what's going to happen three months down the line when you're past probation and you just got to crack on and get on with it? Absolutely. I mean, there's, and the thing is, particularly if somebody has got a hearing impairment or who are deaf, you've got the following issue of when they do get on board, is the company going to make the adjustments they need to be effective? Because there's so many horror stories I've always heard of, you know, that the CEO goes to a fancy do. I mean, okay, we are only just going back to fancy do's after COVID, but sits with somebody and they goes, oh my God, you're a really dynamic graduate. I really want to recruit you. I don't care if you can't see, I don't care if you've got a disability, let's get you in. And then forgets to tell anybody that they've got an impairment, that they might need some additional help. The person goes in and fails nine times out of 10 because the company doesn't make the adjustments. And that's just wrong. And we've got a war on talent. What is it? 1.4 million empty jobs. We need to get this really, really right. Yeah, definitely. And obviously, I mean, this goes out to a global audience. But something that I found out quite recently, which I didn't know, that in the UK, this I did know, but yeah. in the UK, we have an access to work um, service, which enables people to get support from the government for certain adjustments to enable them to go, you know, and to fulfill their um, role that they're employed to do. What I found out recently about the service is it now also offers certain services or uh, well, support for certain services when it comes to the recruitment process. And that includes communication, um, like sign language interpreting. So yeah. that's a wonderful thing. It may not be the same, of course, in other countries, um, but if companies don't even realize that's happening, again, it's not even a cost to them. Yeah. It's something that's available. But it was, it was, I was surprised because we, we, we saw this yesterday, both of us, didn't we? Because it came up in a question. I didn't know, and I know a lot about access to work. I was quite embarrassed. But it not only covers the hearing impairment and visual impairment for getting you support workers to get you into a company, but it covers mental health support as well. Because these are three areas where the employment rates are really low, but you've got some really good, well-educated individuals that want to get into work. So it's fantastic that there is a pot of money to help you with that. So, yes. What else did we learn yesterday? There was loads, wasn't there? Oh, yeah. I mean, there's so much, yesterday. One of the things, so one thing that can actually help you with your recruitment as well, what Tracy and I were talking about yesterday with some brilliant people was the Be People Smart Disability Inclusion Maturity Model mm. one of the strands on that? And it's free if anyone listening hasn't found we it. We love yet. free, Jodie. <laughs> we love free. Um, one of the strands on that, one of the business areas, is yeah. recruitment. And the detail within it is quite granular and it can really help you to determine where you are now, but also how you make improvements. And this comes back to, again, um, working practices, but also education. So things like, you know, making sure your recruitment teams and your line managers are disability confident, that they understand what accessibility is. They don't have to be experts, but they yeah. need to understand the basics. They need to understand what kind of adjustments people may need and how they actually go about it internally. Um, unconscious bias is a term we hear about quite mm -hmm. a lot quite recently, but that's not a negative term. Some people feel a little bit like conscious about it, 
it's a fact of life. We all have unconscious yeah. bias. And then a really good example in recruitment is somebody comes in and shares a disability, maybe it's hidden, or maybe they share a long-term health condition with you. And the reality is, as a human being, a thought process may go, oh, how many times are they going to go off to go to the hospital over the month? Yeah. And it's not because you're wrong. It may be there are hospital appointments, but that doesn't mean that person takes downtime out of work even. Um, and actually, naturally, through having disabilities, a lot of people find smarter ways of working anyway. Mm. So quite possibly you'll find you'll get more productivity out of that individual than out of some others. So it's, yeah, it's just about making sure that we get the correct mindset. We're not talking about, you know, um, excluding anyone else. It's just making sure that it is an equitable process. Well, that's, you said about excluding somebody else. I mean, it's quite an interesting myth that you always get um, about the guaranteed interview scheme that the government did as part of the disability confidence, where people assumed that if they got 10 people that they wanted to recruit for and they got 20 people who declared a disability and then another 20 that had no disability, that they could fill up all the slots with disabled people and they'd have to exclude all the people that were allegedly not disabled, which was patently ridiculous. But it's been a myth for so many years that people believe that, you know, they're frightened of actually saying that they're disability confident in case they get too many of these real oddballs because everybody knows they're going to cost them more money. Everybody knows it exposes them to being sued. And everybody knows that, like you just said, they take loads of time off. The reality is when people have got a disability, whether it's visible, non-visible, because you are managing your disability or long-term health condition, and I have several, I schedule doctor's appointments or eye appointments so that my boss always knows where I am. But the times I take off sick, no, I don't take any time off sick. One, I manage my health a lot better, so it manages my disabilities better. And then secondly, I just feel so grateful that I am in work. I don't take the time off. And we've only got to look. We did a, a whole study with um, one of the high street banks, and they employ, oh, I think it was about 120,000 people at the time, which is a, a lot. They found that their productivity for individuals that got um, had a disability either acquired during their working life at the bank or had come into the business with that, with the right reasonable adjustments being made, that they were something like 6% more productive than their non-disabled colleagues. And that, as a bottom line, was saving the company overall something like £168 million a year. That's no small potatoes, is it? I wouldn't mind having that in my bank account. Oh, I still for just one of those. I mean, it's an enormous amount of it. But that's just, that's like sort of four or five myths that people have clung on to. That's almost, I was talking to somebody the other day actually about the Spastic Society and where that singer, and I can't remember her name because I'm not hip enough, used the word spastic in a song. What was her name? It's oh. Luna or it's not. I'm not hip enough either, but I do know exactly who you meant. And I know she changed the lyrics. Hasn't she changed she? it the next day. She absolutely changed it because we can't use phrases. This is where I think the fear is around and creating the myth. You know, if you call somebody, well, I'm going to use deliberately offensive language. So apologies. We don't use this language at all anymore. But if somebody gets called a crip or a cripple, which is a very old fashioned word, it's still associated with. I don't know, the other phrase, you came to school on a special bus 
or you come to school on the yellow bus or something that's equally puerile and awful. We've still got phrases like you're a spaz or, you know, um, you're handicapped even, which you think isn't that um, offensive, but is. But lots of recruiters are worried that they're wired, their language is wired in the wrong way and that they still see disabled people as a species of part, which is quite ridiculous. It's it's me. It's, it's your next door neighbor. It's your mum. It's your dad. It's your sister. You know, we all have 80 percent of us will anyway gain a disa- disability or a long term health condition in our working lifetime. So we need to get our recruiters and hiring managers prepared with training, absolutely, to understand what's acceptable and not acceptable. By the way, do you remember the Spastic Society? Yeah. I don't know if you do. They used to have the little person yeah. on a collecting jar. That's now Scope. I had no idea. You knew, didn't you, Jodie? But I had no idea it was Scope. It's, just, pre- it's a really Sorry. interesting thing because, of course, they disappeared when the language Exactly, changed. yes. Um, but then that's progress, right? And it's evolution of language. On that, I mean, I did say we were going to come across more myths and we've already done it. Um, on that, I think the other thing we have to be really conscious with um, is language is important. And of course, it's never okay to use something knowingly yeah. that is unacceptable or offensive. But we do also have to be really careful in a sense of tra- what translates when you're talking about global audiences. Like I yeah. found out the other day yeah. that in Greek, I believe it is, yeah, with me if yes. you're Greek, because I'm sure it is that spastiko is actually a word for disabled. Yes. So it wouldn't resonate with a Greek person, maybe why the word spastic in English is actually a negative um, word, or you know, it's got the wrong connotation. And similarly, I'm sure it's in French. The the word handicap, yes, for, so it's the same thing as handicap is still readily used. So and that's fine because at the end of the day, you know, it is regular language it's how people communicate it is received as a you know well-intended um terminology and so on so you do also have to think about the cultural basis of language but what i don't want anyone to do is feel nervous to start a conversation absolutely but put your big girl your big boy or your big person (laughs) pants on and just if you get something wrong it's not necessarily right and wrong but if someone corrects you because it's something that you don't like yeah. And that's fine. I still get corrected and I've been working in this space for over 12 years and there'll still be someone, for instance, I might say person first language. So I might say a person with a disability um, or I might say a person with autism. And then that person may well, uh, you know, correct me and say, I prefer to be called an autistic person. Actually, Yeah. Okay. You know, that's fine. That's your identity. Thank you for letting me know. It's not a problem to correct me. We all learn together. And actually, when it comes to language, particularly with disability, one size never fits all. Well, that's the thing. And I think people do lose track of that because I think they do want to. I say they. In general, people believe it's easier just to put everybody in the same box. But the reality is nowadays that, you know, with non-binary, with trans, with disability, all of us want to be our authentic selves. We want to come out of whatever box people have put us in. And do you know what? I mean, one of the banks recently, they've done that whole business of putting the pronouns on the badges and saying to customers, if you don't like it, you know, where people put they and them, for example, um, go and bank with somebody else. I love the fact that businesses are just going, you know what, we're actually going to stand up for something 
as well as making money, we're going to actually make a moral stand on how we behave. And what I'd love to see is more companies making a consistent, progressive stand on disability because it falls between the stalls. It's the easiest one to leave behind. It's not flash. It's not fashionable. You know, okay, we do have the um, Paralympians that get trolled out every now and again, don't they? They come out and they go, oh, look at them with their superpowers. But we don't make systemic change. And that's one of the things I love, well, of the many things I love about the maturity model, Jodie, is the fact that it allows you to freely, did we mention it's free? I love that. <laughs> um, to freely move through a very consistently granulated model that allows you to embed disability. And let's face it, with disability and making the door wider, every other bit gets through. So it's intersectional across the piece. Just replace the word disability with black, with gay, with trans, and you're still in the same ballpark. So using something like that allows businesses to truly be inclusive rather than just give it the bloody old lip service that I see all the time. Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, what I'm hearing as well as we talk is you talked about the increased productivity and the the cost saving. Mm. We've talked about in the UK how some of these um, adjustments are actually available for free to the business through yep. the recruitment process. We've talked about the fact that they can help themselves with their own changes to the working process through the um, Be People Smart Disability Inclusion Material. Yep. Again, at no cost to the business other than some time commitment. So it just goes to show that this myth around adjustments being too expensive to recruit disabled people, it is quite the reverse. Do the right things. You'll get the best talent and you'll get better productivity. And do you know what? It's not even if if you're saying, I'm not really sure about recruiting disabled people per se. I'm worried I'm going to get it wrong. If you bring people into your business that have a visible disability or people with a non-visible that stand up and stand out and say, look at me, the culture within your business changes immeasurably for the better. It really does. And then we keep saying the word free. We've talked about access to work, and I'm sure Jodie will share some of the, um, the links to access to work. It's a process to go through for the individual. But let's get more people into work that want to work because they then are contributing to the country overall, which is for everybody's good. And quite frankly, I mean, to say that you're worried about it, you don't know how to do it, you don't know where to advertise, go to Jody, come to me, go to other people, whoever you talk to. There's so many resources out there, so many specialist websites that you can go to. Um, I mean, we touched on the neurodivergence um, area just earlier on. And actually, one of the big bugbears that I have is that it's, I'm just going to put the dog on the sofa. Um, one of the big bugbears I've got is that companies are actively recruiting people who are neurodivergent without fully understanding or training the line managers how to manage them. And it's a different kettle of fish. Mind you, walk into any IT um, department and I guarantee they've already got it sorted. But have they rolled that out in other areas of the business? So it does come down to the um, understanding of what's going on, understanding that your line managers need the support. And that might mean, mean that you have to look at your policies and procedures as well to empower them to do the right thing. Yeah, I have to say, I'd love to say that every IT department would have it sorted. The reality is being you know, very engineer centric, the likelihood is any large enough IT department or any other engineer centric space 
would certainly have neurodivergent people with it. Absolutely. Yeah. But whether they'd have it sorted and whether those people <laughs> oh, okay, fair enough. <laughs> always understand what people are going on about and what's expected of them is a is a uh, very different thing. So that's a whole other podcast about fair how enough. Fair sure. enough. We'll step away from that. <laughs> how we can make sure that we're inclusive. But that's really good because obviously that's also come back to our initial um myths that we were covering which, you know, one of which was about this employing neurodivergent people is all an employer needs to do. Employing neurodivergent people is an essential part of business because it's about creativity, innovation, diversity. Um, But of course, you do therefore need that working practice and communication to work for everyone. Yeah. It's a difficult one. I mean, I, I actually had... I used to work for Business Disability Forum. I had a great eight years down there. And I had a um, an intern working for me for a week <coughs> who was autistic. And I'll be honest with you, I knew very little about, we're going back 12 years. And I said to the chap, could you post this for me? And about three hours later, he appeared again. And I went, were you okay? Where did you go? He said, I posted it at the address. He had taken what I'd said so literally. He took the letter I'd given him, went out the door, went and found the street, posted it through the person's letterbox. Now, I mean, I'm not saying that everybody who's neurodivergent is like that at all. However, that was my first experience of somebody who was openly autistic. And I thought, crikey, I'd better get myself informed of what's going on and how to use my language, which was language again but how to use my language to get the best out of this individual and for them to get the best out of the experience. But it really made me stop and think. Yeah, do you know what as well, though? You talk about, so we're talking about language and we're talking about experience. Mm. Coming back to recruitment, do you know, I've got to say, I loathe the old-fashioned, frumpy way of recruiting and this (laughs) secret questions. Oh, my, yeah. You know, you can't tell people what questions you're going to ask, you know, the standing questions in advance because it's more like an exam than an actual interview. Um, I prefer the term, like, We'll have a chat or a discussion rather than anything. Yeah. That's that's a crazy thing. But, you know, in the real world of work, people do their homework, they do their, you know, preparation before their meetings, they've got their notes. Why would we not enable that for when we're actually looking to recruit someone? Because also that talks a lot about, you know, how someone can prepare Mm. for, you know, the actual realities of the workplace and so on. Um, And I just don't understand it. And there's so many things about being explicit when you're talking about recruitment. You know, what what are you going to ask candidates? Yeah. No one likes to share salaries. Yeah, I know. That's ridiculous. But in the public sector in the UK, salary Mm. plans are always shared. But in the private sector, it always says things like competitive. Yeah. (laughs) Competitive with what, though? Yeah, to whom? I know so many people that have gone through three and four interviews with an organisation feeling very positive to then find out that this role they honestly thought was going to be brilliant was going to be paying them £20,000 less a year if they accepted it. And, you know, at the end of the day, you've got your commitments. They couldn't literally afford to take this wonderful role. Disappointment, waste of time for everyone. Yeah, but it's dishonest of the company. I actually think it's a dishonesty to not be open about it. I mean, it's that's where we got to with the, you know, the, the, the gender pay gap, because we're not explicit about salaries. Why should we not be explicit? 
what I mean in California, they're looking at uh, passing a law currently to make it um, all salaries to be open. And I, I felt my instant reaction was, oh, I'm not sure I want everybody to know what actual salary I'm on. But we need to move that forward. And I mean, if I can go back a minute on the questions that we ask people in interviews, you're absolutely right. It's a reasonable adjustment to say, can I see what you're going to ask me up front? And if you're a company that genuinely wants to recruit the best talent, don't test them. As Jody said, crikey, they've already gone through exams all of their lives. But if you have a non-visible disability, or if you're like me and you've got a, a stutter, you imagine when you're being asked a question and put under pressure, my brain starts to stutter. So what happens? I'm not going to do my best. So you're going to miss out on a fantastic candidate in me. But what about all the individuals that you miss out on? What about all the AI systems that people use? I mean, okay, you're leaping forward from the old-fashioned frumpy to the, you know, the new world stuff. But AI is based on how the developer thinks. And we mentioned unconscious bias. You think about um, AI filming, let's say, black people. And all of a sudden, the AI is going, well, I don't like black people. So you get blown out the system. Or if you've got a stammer and you don't answer the questions in a timely fashion or have enough wordage in a set space, you get rejected. So there's so much built in instead of that human. Hi, Jody, how are you? Tell me about what you did when you worked at Shell. Conversation. What's wrong with that anymore? Yeah, I've got to be honest. I find AI lazy recruitment. Oh, it's super lazy. I just think it's a bit of a cop-out because you cannot expect a machine to read a person. And, you know, even, for instance, if you're thinking about things like, you know, whether whether someone you know, smiles a lot or whatever, you know, you mm. might find, for instance, someone with autism doesn't have a lot of facial expression um, all of the time. And, okay, that's fine. That's just how that individual does communicate. But AI says, that's not communicating how we wanted you to, and therefore we're marking you down. So, yeah, definitely, definitely not a fan of AI. Um, I said yesterday, actually, on a uh, on a workshop that I can't tell people not to use AI for recruitment. But you know what? I'm going to say, people, please don't use AI for any sort of selection criteria within your recruitment processes. If you want the best people, people get people. And going back to what Tracy just said about the questions, if your interviews are intended to test people on their quick thinking skills, then maybe some surprises are necessary. If your interviews are intended to understand who someone is as a person, what experience they've got, what they can bring to you from a skill set, then I would absolutely say share, share and share again. That communication in advance of an interview is just as yeah. as how you inter- communicate during an interview. Did you talk about the um, actually sharing about disability? Because, I mean, that's one of the difficult conversations that I often get asked by parents, for example, saying, do I encourage little Johnny, little Jane to tell a company that I have a disability? And I always say, do you know what? Companies are actually actively recruiting, I'm pleased to say, people with disabilities. So, yes, share it. Yeah, I've got to say, I often get contacted by individuals asking me if they should share their disability um, at interview stage or Mm. application stage. And I always tell people it's very much a personal choice. And the reason I say that is 
Too many organisations, as I say, have not educated their recruitment teams and their line managers. Mm. And if that unconscious bias immediately disregards your CV, then it's twofold. One, you're literally on the back foot. But two, if you are a confident person, you are a confident professional, and actually you're in employment at the moment, so you're holding your own, if it's the sort of organisation that would bin off your CV because they know you've got a, a disability, do you want to work there? No, no, you really don't. You really don't. I mean, I've been very fortunate to work for two companies. I mean, Microlink, where I work, is, is we, we make adjustments to people all day long. We develop workplace adjustment systems for entire companies to make their current colleagues and new candidates coming through um, to find the whole process accessible. And it's been really exciting. Some of the companies, some of the councils, for goodness sake, that have embraced, let's get people on board, let's make the adjustments, let's train our recruiters to do this properly. So there's a lot of really good practice out there. But there's a lot of companies that absolutely stink at this. And we're talking, I mean, some really big organisations, really big organisations that should know better. Um, even some of the charities that we say, I'm not mentioning them, but it would be so nice to see them even quietly and discreetly. Let me just say again about your maturity model. They can quietly, discreetly and freely look at this and get this right. Mark their own homework. They never have to expose themselves to the light of day if they don't want to. But I really encourage everybody to take the step. Look at your recruitment because if you really want to fill the gap, that 1.4 million vacancies that are open just you know most of them are actually in driving it's now the top level vacancy both in the uk and globally now is drivers so go out there and get your truck license you'll be fine um but just make sure that you 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 do something anything that can be built on incrementally to make a difference because it's going to forget all the nice things forget doing the right thing forget having morals and values and all of that good stuff if you're doing it do it for your bottom line because it will improve your bottom line without a shadow of a doubt. If you want the facts and figures, we can share them with you. We can prove that it will improve your bottom line. And if you don't want to share two billion, I think it is every month, spent globally, um, of disabled people will more for you. It is your bottom line we're looking at. The nice stuff, it would be wonderful if you really engaged, embraced, felt wonderful about it, had a personal connection with it. But the bottom line is, Jodie wants you to do it. I want you to do it. And we're going to come around and sort you out if you don't. Yeah. And there's over a billion people in the world living with a disability. So, you know, that's a massive, massive talent pool that. Isn't it? Who who on earth wants to miss out on that? Talking of that, we've talked obviously about recruitment in general. We talked about, um, you know, interviewing Mm. job adverts. I hate the job adverts I see. They've not changed. I mean, I, I used to, I was a recruiter, an actual recruiting consultant. I'm sorry, my dogs are going mad. Um, we had no water for three days and they're now delivering water. I'll put me on mute for a minute. Okay. <laughs> While Tracy is doing that, you'll hear all of this because I only edit stuff I really have to because I want you to hear the real us. Um, so... While Tracy's sorting out her dog's no water, I will just say when it comes to job adverts, there's a couple of very specific things. One is so many job adverts are, and I'll be frank, a bit lazy and very generic. And they still include 
like essential skills that aren't actually essential. They're not relative to the role. Um, And, you know, a lot of people, particularly neurodivergent people, will often look at job adverts and think, I can only apply if I meet every one of the criteria. But, you know, for instance, if you're going to be a back of house engineer working in a control room by yourself most of the time, maybe with a colleague, having exceptional written communication (laughs) skills, what for? Yeah, it is. I mean, I think you cracked it there, Jodie, when you said it's lazy. It's the last thing on everybody's list recruitment, although it's one of the major challenges. Your talent within your business, the people within your business are your business. They are the people that will make the difference between you making money and not making money. So actually, recruitment is the core essential skill, but it doesn't really fall with anybody's particular area because HR don't really do it. They look after people and the recruiters, if you don't empower and train them, which is what we're talking about at the beginning, they can't be asked. Writing a job description, they take one out of the file and go, well, this is Johnny's description. He was quite good. So let's use the same one again and again and again. They don't account for the fact, you know, say you you wanted somebody to produce 50 documents a day. Do you really care how they do it? If they use speech to text software like I do, rather than type it, does it matter? As long as you get good quality output. So we really focus when we're talking to people around recruitment is focus on the output that you want from that job. What do you want that person to achieve? And then really allow them to do that whatever way works, isn't it? Yeah. Who cares? As you say, if it's a back office job, do they need to be the most charming person in the world? Do you really need that? No. You know, do you really need somebody as gobby as me on, on an, uh, working on their own in the corner? Not necessarily. So it, it's, it's take the time because actually it's very expensive. To hire the wrong person it is very expensive. It upsets the team when they come in. You've got the hiring costs. You've got the time management costs, all the rest of it involved. And if you've got it wrong because you've been lazy with your job advert and assumed that that's what you want, not what your business needs, then you've failed. It's a big fail. So take time. What do you actually want them to achieve? What are the outputs of the role? How could it be done differently? Could you job share? Could you get different people in? Could you do small disability programs with like a local charity that you're actually then doing the morally good and the right things? So it's really kind of thinking about it. And you might say, I haven't got time to think about it. But you know what? If it's your business, you absolutely need to make the time. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. And another plug I'm going to make because I've posted about this so many times on LinkedIn, but is about when an organisation professes (laughs) in a job advert to be an equitable and quality. Don't you just love those words? Mm. They then tend to often list all these diversity traits Mm. and almost identically, they tend to go like this. Gender, ethnicity, sexual orientation, age, culture, religion and disability. And the irony is even accessibility centric roles because of this laziness and it's copy and pasted anyway, but Mm. they're listed the same. So there's no logic to that order. There's literally nothing you can identify that is a logical order other than preference. So if that's your priority, 
those yeah order actually of that's a really good point yeah that's one thing the only logical way is to either not list them and make a generic statement mm. or to put them in alphabetical order and just for the record age comes before disability so i'm not saying you have to put disability <laughs> at the beginning. um but something like alphabetical order shows logic shows some forethought yeah. shows equal weighting rather than the fact that you know, well, your gender kind of, you know, that's what we're worried about because we have to do gender pay gap, you know, ethnicity, you know, absolutely. We've now actually put some effort in to prove yeah. that, you know, we have our anti-racism campaigns and so on, which, by the way, are really important. But, that you know, that's next in line um, and so on and so on. And then disability is at the bottom and it's always yeah. at the bottom when they're yeah. listed. Yeah. I will yeah. give Microsoft a plug, actually, because I'm always really nosy at job adverts to see how they're doing and some of the most recent ones with microsoft i noticed are alphabetically listed oh yeah so i'm, I'm just giving them a little bunch there because yeah can we, are we going to do the flip side of that coin though jody their it help desk <laughs> yeah that that that's like a whole other thing as well so um that that is interesting but all jokes aside from a recruitment perspective seeing those improvements made you know they I love are that, to, actually i didn't know that I think they brilliant. are to be celebrated um and i think people do deserve recognition when they are making change for the good yeah but i've seen some brilliant statements on job adverts recently i can't think of the exact wording i should have prepped it for today um but it was something like um you know we're an equal opportunities employer irrespective of your background accessibility <laughs> needs or something else and it was very short sweet but it really did encompass everybody mm. um and it was actually really nice and i hadn't seen it written like that before but it did kind of say do you know what if you haven't been to oxford or cambridge yeah it, no matter what your gender you know no matter if you have a disability or not we want to see you because we want the best people. And it was very cleverly put. So if anyone is interested, you can always get in touch with me. I'm sure I can find it. Yeah, I think you need to get out, repost it, and then we can <laughs> share it out on LinkedIn because that kind of behaviour, absolutely, as you said before, needs to be celebrated. I mean, I, I love the idea when people put on um, job descriptions and say, uh, or job adverts rather, and they say, if you need us to make any adjustments to the process, like giving you extra time, if you need a BSL interpreter, actually putting that down. Because again, one of the challenges is we know what reasonable adjustments are or workplace adjustments. We're in this industry. People outside of it, people who've perhaps not gone through the disabled students allowance routine, wouldn't know when somebody says, what adjustments do you need to the process? Because often a company's not going to tell you what that process is anyway. So you don't know what, what you might need changed for you to sign. But all throughout all of this, we want people to be more attracted to your company, genuinely attracted for you to be genuinely welcoming and for them to be open as they can, not necessarily tell you about their disability, but feel comfortable to say, you know what, I need an extra 25 minutes, I've got dyslexia. You know, 25%, sorry, rather than 25 minutes. But just have that freedom of, of, of conversing with people as people. We're all humans. We've all got needs. We've all got desires. We've all got wants to get into a job that we're going to enjoy and, and get on in. So, you know, I love what you said about what that company is. Let's dig it out and find out who it is and big them up for being good. 
I know I'm going to have to find it now. That's the only thing with LinkedIn. Things sort of start disappearing, don't they? But I will definitely do some searching. Um, what you were just saying just makes me really resonate with what we always talk about, be people smart, about the fact that what we're really aiming for is human centricity in the workplace. Absolutely. And I think that's great. And it brings me nicely, actually, to one of my favourite questions I ask all of our guest speakers. Oh, and gosh. I get really cool. <laughs> um, and it's because I'm a bit of a Harry Potter fan that I love this question. But, Tracy, if yes. you had a magic wand mm. and you could change one thing, anything, to make recruitment processes far more inclusive, what would you change in this ideal world? Do you know what? I mean, what a great question. What a huge question. <laughs> I'm going to have to bring it down to something really, really simple that Ooh, people can do today, which is back to where we started. Let's do it in a nice holistic circle. Train your recruiters and your hiring managers in disability awareness. That's it. Because if you do that, they will start pushing for the change that's needed. They will be more open to suggestions from candidates of different practices, you know, maybe giving a, a little video instead of a CV. They will be the ones who drive your business forward. So it really starts with, yeah, that's my magic one moment. Let's train people who are the front end of your business, who are attracting the talent to your business and hiring it into how to be more inclusive. Let's get them all looking at the Be People Smart maturity model. Let's get them comfortable with it and enjoy it. And they can make more money at it. You think about all the agencies out there. If their recruiters knew what we knew, which we quite happily tell them, they'd make bloody tons more money. Result yeah. for everyone. And that is why I love my magic wand question. I love that, <laughs> yeah. That rocks. Um, so on that, though, because I think that's really good, and I think the fact that that change can literally start today yeah. um, is quite powerful. And although, you know, that was your magic wand, but is there anything else you would really love for people to take away today um, so that they can start running with this stuff? You know, they they can actually start making positive change for their organisation, but of course also for their candidates. For me, it's looking at how do you make those adjustments to your process and how do you make it more open? So just, just look at what you currently do. Take a look at it because you haven't looked at it for years. It's been rumbling on in the background and occasionally you might change your applicant tracking system. You might bring a different agent in. But do you really look at your supply chain? Do you really look at how they handle disability, how they handle the intersectionality of all these lovely words that you put on your ad to make people think that you're fab? Well, I've got to tell you, you're not really fab unless you're living it. So let people live it. I honestly, we said about the maturity model again. Did I mention it was free? I love it's free. But if you use the maturity model, do it in private if you want to, but at least it will give you something, some basis, some framework that really works to take you from A to B. And you might not get too excellent, but if you get better than bad, I would love that for companies. Better than bad. That. <laughs> that's better not really a tagline, is it? But, you know, we're better than bad. That's <laughs> got to be good for some companies. Definitely. And we all want to be better than bad. So absolutely, <laughs> there's, there's an action there for everyone. Um, one quick thing I'd actually like to also say is collaboration is really important. So yeah. you feel like you're on your own, particularly if you're in a larger organisation, because if you are someone involved in recruitment 
And for instance, you're unsure where to make certain adjustments or what the approved process is for your company. Mm. There might not be one, but, you know, that can then lead into how you then support your existing and future employees as well. So, you know, speak to your DNI, your diversity and equity and inclusion team. You know, speak to other HR colleagues, whoever it mm. is that can take ownership. If you're quite mature, then you might actually have a workplace accessibility team. Um, speak to them. Find out what's in place. You could actually be the instigator. You could be a massive change wow. maker for your organisation, which is a really powerful thing for the future. So maybe recruitment will lead the way um, within your organisation, but for the betterment of everyone long term. So that, I mean, that could be a massive string to your professional bow anyway. Wouldn't it? Definitely. So I'd say definitely, you know, also talk to your colleagues. It's quite easy. Sometimes we're all busy. We end up in our little tunnels. Mm. Um, But sometimes, you know, reaching out can support you, can help you. um, But from an organisational perspective, can really make a difference, like far wider than even your own business function. And that is wonderful. And I think, I mean, Jodie, you're a living example of, excuse me, what can be done. I mean, you've done this as a passion project that's that's a really sound business, but you've taken all your experience and now you're sharing all that experience and that's to be applauded and celebrated in and of itself. But, you know, guys, if if you if you reach out to to anybody, just just make the connections because there's so many people on LinkedIn that have got knowledge, have got the experience. If you want to use Jodie, Jodie's going to be more than happy to talk to you, but just reach out to somebody don't sit there thinking i wish i could make a change because if we all got together and made a change it would be awesome and we'd be all great rather than better than bad (laughs) yeah definitely so my final question for you because i'm sure listening to everything you've got to share tracy people are going to want to you know find out more about you and about microlink where and how do they find you you can find me on linkedin you can find me at the Microlink site, obviously. Um, but it's if you want to get hold of me, I can even give you a mobile number, <laughs> which I'm quite happy. I will talk to anybody. I'm like Jodie. Um, the thing is with me that's probably different to Jodie is that I won't nicely take you through it. If you don't do the work, I'm going to be um, quite forceful on you doing the work. I'm going to be encouraging you strongly to get things done. But do it, come on to LinkedIn, find me, get in touch, um, and I'd be delighted to help you. And they can follow Microlink on LinkedIn as well. Oh, yeah, they can. That would be fantastic. If you want to know about, you know, what's latest stuff in assistive technology, and when I'm talking about assistive technology, it's everything from the software that you can use, like Dragon and ReadWrite. It's things like ergonomic chairs. It's things like, um, there's some wheezy things, or cams that sit on the side of your glasses that read the documents and then read them to you. They are really, really game changers for individuals with hearing impairments or sight impairments. We know all of that stuff. We specialised it in the last 30 years and we've helped over half a million people. So we can help you too. Definitely. It's wonderful. One of the reasons I partner with Mike Palink is obviously I have a lot of faith in you lot. So, um, yeah, I think you've got some you've got some captive support here. Um, reach out on LinkedIn. Let us know what your questions are. Um, So I just want to say thank you for your time today, Tracy. It's been really, really helpful. As you know, inclusive recruitment is also a passion of mine. So it's always good to you. I love it. And I'm sorry about the dogs barking. I have now got water and my dogs have gone to sleep (laughs) and we finished. So that's wonderful.
And it's also proof that we really do invite you to join us in conversation. <laughs> we don't play very much with any editing and so on because we want to keep it true in very uh-huh. Jody style. Um, it's very authentic. <laughs> but yeah, so this really is us getting you to take part in our kind of coffee morning, which we call a podcast episode, so that we can share our learnings with you and hopefully help you make the improvements where they're needed and also help you influence your organisation to make the same happen. Absolutely. It's been a blast. Thanks, Jody. Thank you. And I hope you all enjoyed it. So until next time for some more myth busting, take care, everyone. Thank you for listening to this podcast episode. We really hope you enjoyed it. Please rate us and leave us a review. We really want to know what you think. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on any of the amazing guest speakers we have lined up.